this feels like an odd way to start off as a pastor. If a year ago you would have told me I'd be giving my first sermon to a bunch of people wearing masks in a parking lot, I don't know what I would have thought at that time. Um, now, don't get me wrong, I feel totally blessed. Um, I am excited to be here. Uh, I feel like God has led me to this spot and um, that he has answered my prayers and I believe he's answered your prayers and has put us together. So I'm, I'm ready for whatever God has in store, but God is full of surprises. Um, but I've been thinking about, okay, this is how I'm getting started. How did Jesus start off his ministry? How did he get started? when he actually started doing the work of teaching and preaching and such. So we're going to get to our, our main passage in just a minute. I, I thought I would first start with what Mark said in Mark 1. So this is how he describes how Jesus started. It says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus started off in Galilee, which was home territory. That's where Nazareth was. And the, the key to his message was, I, I come proclaiming the gospel of God, or the gospel just means the good news of God. That's how they would have heard it. Um, and then after that, it says that he picked out, chose some people to be with him, his, his disciples, his followers, that he would train them. But he didn't pick, like, preachers in training or anything, or rabbinical students. He chose disciples, or uh, fishermen, to be his disciples. So that was not what people thought the Messiah would do when he came. So I think Jesus had a bit of an odd start. Um, Matthew, in his gospel, then starts to fill it out more. So now I will I'll, I'll kind of read our main passage, starting in Matthew 4.23. And it really does echo a lot of what Mark already told us. And it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So that's how Jesus got started. I want you to imagine for a minute. You were one of those fishermen who Jesus invited to follow along with him, and you were there. What would have come to your mind about this? Like, what would you have been feeling if you were there when all this stuff was happening and what I just read? Can, can you give me, shout out one word adjectives of what that would have been like to be there? Excited. Good one. Amazed. Filled with wonder. Surprised. Skeptical. Special. 
I heard one over there, but couldn't quite make it out. Thankful. Yeah. I mean, it would have been pretty neat to see what was going on. If it, if that was happening in, you know, here at, at East Glenville, we'd be like, yes, God is moving. This is, this is, this is incredible. Um, things are going well. I mean, what do we see? We see miraculous healings. Um, and not just, you know, an occasional one. It seemed like it would be happening all the time. Jesus um, healed people physically, uh, physical illnesses, physical ailments, um, paralyzed people were walking again. Those who had been oppressed by demons were being set free. Jesus was not just a one-trick pony, right? He wasn't just convincing people that they were healed. He was doing something real in their lives. What else would we have noticed? Um, it says he starts off in Galilee, which, so to put that in upstate New York terms, it would be like he started up here in Schenectady, Glenville area, you know, up not far away from, you know, Albany and the capital city. So instead of starting in Jerusalem, where you think the Messiah would get started, instead he's up in the, the away from the, the, the main thing of things. Um, he'd get to you know, Jerusalem, Albany later, but, but he started off up in Galilee. Um, it says that he taught in the synagogues. The synagogue was the Jewish place of worship and study of the, of the law of God. It would be like a church service in that sense. So it would be like he started off teaching in the churches, but he didn't stay in the church. And in fact, it sounds like most of what he was doing was actually out in the public area out among the people, in, in the towns. That, that would be a little surprise. And then I love how it says fame about him spread. It spread throughout the, the area um, of in Galilee, the, the Decapolis, which was to the east, and then the Syria, which was to the north. And then word spread down into, into Judea, which was the area where Jerusalem was, down into the main Jewish area of, of Judea and people started hearing about him and coming up. It would be like, so, you know, people from Albany starting to come up to hear, uh, someone preaching up here in Glenville, New York, right? Like that would be the equivalent that, 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 that was that noteworthy. And so what is Jesus up to when we see how he started? What, what, what was he up to? What was his plan? And the first thing I think that is clear is he came to bring good news for broken and hurting people. The gospel, the good news, the message, God's kingdom is at hand. Be glad. Your long wait is over. But but he wanted to especially to make this, that the good news was not just for the religious people. It was for the broken, the hurting, the sinful, the sick the poor, the lame, the blind. I don't know if you've ever sensed this. I, I've, um, I've come across people who just assume that Jesus is, is just for the religious people. People outside of church assume that, that Jesus stuff is fine for all you who, you know, walk into that building. Um, Jesus came for the broken and the hurting not just for, for people who have their life together already. I'm convinced Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me. 
when I, I first encountered Jesus, I didn't have my life together. I wasn't going to church. I, I wasn't, I, I was actually skeptical about God and skeptical about churches. But when I met Jesus, I became convinced he's the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I, I pray and I hope that, that we here at East Glenville, that, that we would find ways to bring good news to the broken and the hurting in our community and to let them know that Jesus is available to them as well. So that's the first thing I see in this. Looking at, so when four goes into chapter five, so it talks about the great crowds that followed him and people starting to, I mean, things are really doing well. Um, in the original Bible, the text, they would not have had chapter divisions. Those were added later to help us keep things straight. So it would have flowed right into to chapter five. And, and this is what it says. So Jesus sees the crowds and says, when he saw the crowds, so if you were just up to that point, you were with Jesus, what would you expect it to go from there? All these great things are happening. People are really excited, amazed. It's incredible. Jesus sees this, this crowd. What would you expect to happen? Oh, we need to build a building, right? So we can all, all worship together. Um, or maybe you would maybe you'd think Jesus would tell his disciples to, you know, to take pictures and put it on the book of faces so that all may see the great things that are happening, you know, but, but look what actually does happen to seeing the crowds. Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So Jesus sees the crowds and he walks the other direction. He climbs up a mountain. He actually goes where the crowds either won't or maybe even can't follow him. What is Jesus up to? Why would he do that? We know it's not because he doesn't care about the crowds. He's already showed how much he cares about them. But yet he walks away from them and goes the other direction. And it says only his disciples climb the mountain with him. Now that would have been more than the 12. We actually, the 12 had not yet been established, the 12 disciples, but it, it would have still been a pretty small group of people devoted to Jesus who wanted to learn from him. So what is he up to? The second point I want to make is Jesus came to do more than miracles of healing. He didn't just come to heal people's physical ailments. He did because he had compassion on people and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. But his ultimate goal was to set people right with God, to bring people back into a relationship with the living creator, with the living God, with their father in heaven. Think about it this way. Every single person Jesus healed became sick and eventually died. Right? So he came to connect them to God for eternity, that they might have the eternal life with their father in heaven. First Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So he didn't just come to heal people's bodies but he came to, to lead us into eternal life. 
And then the third point goes with it. Jesus did not just come to draw a crowd, but to make disciples. Jesus knew that just speaking to and interacting with the crowds would not bring about the, dis- the response of discipleship. He, you see him inviting people to follow him, to learn his ways. And it would be his disciples who followed him up the mountain, who would, who would learn what it meant to live as a disciple of Jesus, to live as a follower of Christ. I, I've, when I was a young preacher, I, I, I thought that my sermons would, of course, just impact people's lives, that people would hear me and suddenly everything would click and make sense and that would be the thing. God has, has taught me that, that um, you know what? Sermons generally don't make disciples. Sermons can help people start to make sense of things and invite people into it. But but discipleship often happens on a smaller scale, in small groups, or as we learn from one another as we live together. Um, I was reading this week something from Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. And so... Um, and, and he was popular in his day. And God brings a message to Ezekiel in chapter 33. If you want to look along, it's at starting in verse 30. And God says to Ezekiel, he says, As for you, son of man, which is the, the name God gave to Ezekiel. Um, As for you, son of man, your people talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. You get what that's saying? This is God is saying to Ezekiel, Hey, the people are talking about you, right? They, they, they're sitting by the walls or at their doorsteps and they're talking about you and your message. And they're all excited about you. Um, and like, yeah, that's great. They're talking about you. And they're all like, hey, come hear the message that Ezekiel has. So that's verse 30. Then 31, it says, The people come to you, as they usually do, and they sit before you to hear your words. So the people come and hear the message. It says, but they do not put them into practice. It says, their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. So the people are hearing messages, they're excited about the sermons, they're all into it. It says, but they're not actually changing, it's not changing their life. It's not changing their heart. Their hearts are still steeped in greed. Um, Their mouths say the right words. Their mouths say love, but their hearts are greedy. They're not putting it into practice. And, And this is where, this is the part that got me. He says, indeed, God saying this to Ezekiel. Indeed, to them, you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. So, yeah, you're a great and entertaining preacher, but it's just just like someone who sings love songs and plays or plays a good instrument. You entertain the people, but it says they hear your words, but not put them into practice. Jesus came not to just entertain people with, a, with interesting parables and messages. He came to make disciples. 
That's what he was up to. That's why he climbed up a mountain with, with a few, rather than just staying with the crowds. And that leads to the fourth point. On the mountain, Jesus would focus on the deep heart issues of his disciples. He pulled away from the crowd so he could speak to his followers about some difficult things, about the sinfulness in their own hearts and the things that they needed to really deal with. If you would go through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is a very intense teaching where Jesus starts to talk about how do you deal with your anger? You know, what do you do when you're angry at your brother? Or what about the lust in your life? Or what's your sex life like? Or do you follow through on your commitments? When you say yes, does that mean yes? And does your no mean no? Or how do you respond when you're mistreated, when you're treated badly? How do you respond to that? Jesus will talk about what does your prayer life look like? Do you just babble a lot of words thinking that'll do it? Um, Jesus talks about money. Where is your treasure hidden? Jesus in those verses talks about um, your life direction. Who do you let influence you? Whose words impact you? And then he ends it with what on what foundation is your life built? Are you built on a rock or is your, is your life built on sand that's going to give up, give away when the storms come? So in other words, he's, he's going to focus on these deep heart issues of his disciples to prepare them to learn what it means to follow him. That's what he's up to. And then the last thing I would say Jesus is up to. Jesus wanted the crowd to see the good news lived out by regular people. What does that mean? In other words, remember who he chose to be his followers? Fishermen, tax collectors, normal people in a sense, people that they could see in their daily life, not these special rabbinical students. Um, as a pastor, I've learned, you know, if I'm following God, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and following Jesus, people will just think, well, of course, you're supposed to do that. You're the pastor. In the minds of people outside the church, pastors are not real people. Did you know that? <laughs> you know, they're supposed to do it. They don't think of us as real people. We're like this special class. Um, but when they see regular people, normal people who have day jobs, you know, when they see them living for Christ, when they see their lives transformed, that has a power. Because that's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. you're a, a, a clerk at a store. You're a teacher. You're, you do this and, and yet you believe about this Jesus stuff. That's what Jesus meant when he says you are the salt of the earth. You have distinctive lives shaped by God, um, and you're out there in the world. So that's why Jesus chose fishermen and normal people to be his disciples. And and I love this this line in Acts Acts chapter four. So Peter and John, who were fishermen, end up speaking to the religious leaders of all of of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and and they talk to them about Jesus being raised from the dead. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were 
astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Jesus wanted the crowds to see what it would look like when regular people learned to follow him and live for him. That's what Jesus was up to. He had a strategy. Because in his day, there were many who had a skeptical view of religion and of the religious teachers of their time. They were wondering if this was all kind of a scam because they saw the religious leaders kind of oppressing them and getting away with a lot of stuff. And so they, they weren't sure. And so many had a negative view. Could it be we're in a similar time as that? Could it be in the church in America that people have a bit of a skeptical view about the church and about church leaders? I wonder if Jesus is up to the same thing in our day. What is Jesus up to now? I still believe he has good news for broken and hurting people. We do not have to get our lives together before, before he's going to help us, before he's going to come into our lives. We don't come to him because we got it all nailed down. We come to him as we are. I'm still convinced that Jesus is more than physical healing. He will meet people in their, their, deep, their, their needs and, and respond to them. But he came that we might know God our Father and be with him forever. The greater work is in our inner being. He's going to deal with the spiritual sickness that keeps us distant from God. Third, I'm, I'm convinced Jesus is more interested in making disciples than a crowd. I have wondered a while if God was shrinking the church on purpose. If God was uh, shaking up his people. Um, because it seemed like for a time everyone was in church. I know I would talk to my mom and she said in her day, it was just expected you would go to church. You weren't there because you really wanted to follow the Lord and live for him. And so maybe Jesus has shaken up the church that it might become a, a group of those who are following him, living for him. Fourth, I believe Jesus still will speak into the brokenness and sinfulness of those who follow him. Friends, he has work to do in each one of us today. There are things in our heart that have to be dealt with. When I was a new Christian, I thought I, I had this following Jesus thing down. I thought, yeah, I got, I got this. But, but the more I follow the Lord... The longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize, oh man, no, he's, there, there's some stuff in here that, that still has to be addressed. He is at work in his people. And he's going to deal with the stuff inside that you don't admit to anybody else. He's going to deal with the anger and the conflict and the greed and the envy and the pride and the lust and all the stuff that we keep hidden. He wants more than just our words. He wants our hearts. And fifth, Jesus is up to this. He delights to use regular people to be living examples of the good news. He delights when regular people are, whose lives have been changed by him. That's when you have an impact 
as you follow follow Christ. I want I want to kind of finish with the story. So, is a couple years ago, or about a year ago or so, I was at a park uh, with my son Ben. Uh, I dropped the 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 two girls off at an art museum for an art program. And so we were just killing time at a nearby park with some swings. And there was a woman there and started talking to me. And I I picked up that she had some sort of learning disability. It was kind of obvious, not a major one. She was there on her own and and stuff, but, but you could tell that um, she had some, some issue with, learning disability and, and we just were talking and I sort of asked her questions about, you know, her, her life and found out that her brother had died not too long ago and that she had moved from the South side to the North side and, and that she had her little dog that she loved and that was her, you know, and, um, and then after we're talking for a while, she asked me, so where do you go to church? And I'm like, I looked at, I looked at, did I have a Christian t-shirt on? Like, did I have pastor stamped on my forehead? You know, I had said nothing about my job or what I did. Um, but I, I, so I rolled with it and I said, oh, I told her. And then I asked her about her, her church and said, Oh, it's a little Lutheran one. And, and then after a while I said, can I ask you a question? How did you know I went to church? Her answer blew me away. She said, the only people sorry, the only people who are nice to me and talk to me are church people. She didn't know as a pastor. She just saw me talking to her and, and in her experience, the only people who gave her the time of day were people she associated with church people, followers of Jesus. What is Jesus up to? He's at work in the hearts of those who follow him and love God to change their hearts so they will slow down enough with their agenda to care about a woman that others just ignore. He is reminding his people that he came to bring good news for the hurting and broken. That's how Jesus got started in ministry. And I think he's still doing the same thing. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you sent your son. And I thank you that, that he came to bring good news for me and good news for all of us here. Lord, I pray that you would lead us as a church to share that good news and and to be your people, to learn to be your disciples, to learn together how to follow you, Lord Jesus. We just ask that you be a work in our hearts and lives as we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name. Jesus, knowing that we... We need ways to, to hold things in our mind. He gave his followers, his disciples, a way of, of incorporating his teachings in, into their way. And, and that's what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. 
And so we're going to move into our, our communion time. And I'm going to ask Phil to come up as we, we get ready for that. Um, but Jesus took a loaf of bread and gave us this, this way of knowing that he's with us. He says, eat the bread. And that is my body given for you. And, and drink the cup. That is my blood shed for your sins. So there's, there's no distance between us and God. And so this morning, wherever you're at with the Lord, whatever kind of week you had, I want you to know you are invited to, to join in this. If you want to um, respond to Jesus in your life, come and receive what he has for you today. I had a friend who... He, he, for a season, he, he did not take communion and I would talk to him about it. I was like, why, why didn't you receive communion? He says, Oh, I, I, I didn't have a good week. Right. I, I, there, you know, and I kept saying, it doesn't matter what kind of week you had. If you want Jesus, he's there right now. It is good and right that we, we think about our lives and we offer them up to the Lord as we receive. And so I will give you a time to, to confess any sins, to, to consider your, the state of your heart, and to talk to God. Um, but then know this. You are invited to the table of the Lord. He paid the price so that we could receive, so that we could be reminded of his grace and love, so that we can know he is with us and in us. So I'm going to just offer a time of silent prayer. For you to talk to God, and then Phil's gonna lead us in the the, in, the words of institution. Would you talk to God and just prepare your hearts for receiving at this time? And now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven. Come to the table as you are ready. So from the scriptures we read that the very night when Jesus was betrayed, he was eating the Passover meal in worship to God in remembering that God had provided a way of forgiveness, fellowship, and reconciliation with God. Communion is all about forgiveness of sins. That Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. To take away our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And are buried, never to be remembered against us again. When we confess our sins, when we, when we come clean and say, God, I know I've sinned. I've done something wrong. I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, cleanse me. Nowhere does it tell us in the Bible to ask for forgiveness. 
It says to confess our sins and he will forgive us and cleanse us. Forgiving us from our guilt, cleaning us from our filth so that we are free to serve God, to be filled with rejoicing that God has done this for us. That's what makes us glad and happy people because we're ordinary people saved by an extraordinary God and a most loving, wonderful Savior. Jesus took this meal, a meal that was they were very familiar with, been practicing it for 1,500 plus years. And Jesus took this meal to show them, this meal is more than what you think it is. This meal is all about me. It's a great picture of me. The Lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. So when Jesus in that Passover meal, the last time they broke the bread and took the cup, he changed it to help us to understand there's freedom and forgiveness to approach God because Christ, our sacrifice lamb, has been slain, buried, raised again. That's why we exist today. That's why we're here in this parking lot, worshiping as the people of God. Because Christ died and rose again. That takes away our sin. Gives us great freedom. And enables us to be filled with all the fullness of God. As we put those things away. And leave it in the blood of Christ. Now we have your little cup that was given to you. You know there's one layer to peel off the top. And your little bread wafer is there. So if you peel off your top. You'll have your bread. Jesus took the bread. He took the loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you, given for you. Take it and eat of it and remember me. Place yourself in the disciples' position. What is he talking about? Remember me, Jesus. And they remembered afterward. But then they were filled with puzzlement and they really didn't know, but they knew later. So he took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks, and then he gave it unto them. Pastor Mitch is going to lead us in prayer, thanking the Lord for the body of Christ that this bread resembles, broken and given for us. Father, would you set apart and make holy these small wafers? And these cups of juice, may they be for us this day, your body and your blood. May they do a spiritual work within them as we receive them. And may we know your grace and love in all that we do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And then he said, all of you, take of it and eat together. Remember me.